This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Today we're revisiting a conversation we had last year with Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, a Dominican friar who was recently named editor of Our Sunday Visitor, the weekly national Catholic newspaper found at osv.com. Father Patrick comes to OSV from the English edition of Alatea.org, the global Catholic news and spirituality website where he served as editor-in-chief. This spring, Father Patrick was nominated to serve as a Eucharistic preacher, a work he has undertaken to support the USCCB-led National Eucharistic Revival. And along with his Dominican brothers, he hosts the podcast Godsplaining, which I strongly recommend. He co-authored the book, St. Dominic's Way of Life, A Path to Knowing and Loving God, available on OSV Books, and that's the topic of our conversation today. We're joined by Father Patrick Mary. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Taylor. It's really great to be with you. You are no stranger to media. I'm interested, you you just kind of read your audience really well. At the very beginning of this book, you're like, you know, everybody knows about St. Ignatius and, and St. Francis because of their big conversion stories. Uh, and everyone knows about St. Augustine and, and about St. Benedict because they had a, a body of work and writing uh, that, that they passed along. We don't get that from St. Dominic. We hear about St. Dominic from, from others, and so we don't have as much of those, uh, maybe those things that attract modern eyes to say, ooh, I want to learn about this saint or that saint. Um, what we do have is this beautiful and continuing order, an order that gave us some of the most brilliant minds of the church. And so it, it does us well to go back and look and say, well, okay, what started all of this? Um so that's the book, St. Dominic's Way of Life. But you also tie it into our life today because history repeats itself and we find ourselves today in a time very similar to the time that St. Dominic was. So tell me, what was your introduction to St. Dominic the person uh, in, in your life? Yeah, that's really an amazing thing. And as you're saying, you know, that that's a point that we always make about St. Dominic, that he's a kind of hidden saint, right? You know, as you said, we don't have uh, a grand corpus to read from. There aren't, um, it's difficult to find historical sources about St. Dominic. We have um, the testimony about him that was read at his canonization. So there are some things, but there aren't works from his own hand. He didn't write an autobiography. We don't have copies of his preaching, which I think is interesting for a man who founded the order of preachers, but, yeah. but we don't know how Dominic preached, which is probably for our good, because otherwise all, the, all of my brothers would do would be to just imitate St. Dominic and it would be incredibly boring. But, <laughs> but this, allows, this allows, you know, for us to, to have a bit more liberty. Um, but but, but what, what, all of us, what all of us are able to see as we, as we begin to really, as we, be, as we begin to, to pull back uh, the veil, we, we see a way of life that, that is truly radiant, a way of life that has lived completely for God. So it was said of St. Dominic that he spoke always to God or of God. Hmm. And as we begin to examine his way of life, as we begin to ask, well, what does St. Dominic say to us today? We see that St. Dominic was a man of totality, that he lived absolutely for God. And this is the beautiful thing about his early biography from his young days. St. Dominic was training to be a priest. He was in 
uh, formation. He began life uh, as a, he began his, uh, his vocation, he began his um, consecrated life as a cathedral canon. Uh, and then from there, just continue this, he had this continual docility to the Holy Spirit. And uh, it, it wasn't until after that that he, then, that he then moved into founding the Dominican Order. So St. Dominic, you know, again, has this, has this life that, that's totally given over to God from the earliest age, from his formation, his family, from his early desires to be a priest and uh, le- leading up to the founding of the Dominican Order. Now, you, you used a term there um, that some are unfamiliar with, the, the cathedral canon. Uh, the, this is not a not an order that we see as often today. So can you just really briefly explain uh, what a canon is and how it differs from other? Yeah, it's not a weapon, at least right. not a weapon in that sense. And no one's firing cathedral canons these days. Uh, but, but the cathedral canons in the Middle Ages, it was a form of religious life where priests would live around a bishop at a, at a cathedral. And it was their duty to... Uh, to, to uh, take on the tasks of formation of priests and of instruction. And uh, cathedral canons often ran cathedral schools. And so these first schools were the origins of the modern university. They were centers of learning attached to cathedrals. And so a, a major key of St. Dominic's vocation is this life lived in community and this life dedicated to study. We know that from, from, the, his, from his early years, St. Dominic was very studious extraordinarily nerdy, you know, just, just from the get-go. And this is why the Dominicans are proud to boast that we are the church's nerd order. That, 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 that actually, when you become a Dominican, that there's, some, there's a little surgery done to take out our heart, you know, it just gets removed, and another brain gets put right in there, you know, so you, you run around with two brains. But St. Dominic was just completely given over to, the, to this way of life dedicated, um, dedicated to, to the principles of the common life, including... Um, including uh, the great liturgies of the church uh, and to a life of study. And this comes from, again, his formation as a cathedral canon. Uh, and, then, and then he took those principles, those keys from that life as a canon and gave them to the first brethren when he, when he founded his new order of preachers. Yeah. As soon as I'm, as soon as I'm finished with this book, I'm going to pass it on to my kids because they're going to really love this idea that St. Dominic loved reading more than playing games, because that's kind of totally their their headspace. It's like, ooh, ooh, I have a saint, right? So- Marvelous. That's how I. That's how I felt. You know, you asked, uh, you and I. I didn't answer it then, but I'll, but I'll get to it now. I promise. Uh, you asked <laughs> how how was it that I came to myself, no Saint Dominic? Well, it was by meeting a Dominican friar who embodied these aspects of Saint Dominic's life. So I was actually a, a diocesan seminarian. Um, and then I jumped ship <laughs> to change course, uh, as it were. Uh, but but during that time in seminary, I experienced all of the keys of the of the Dominican way of life, which is living in community, sharing a common prayer, really em- embracing that life of study, and that was lived in an, in an exemplary fashion, uh, both exemplary in uh, the sense of modeling, providing a model for, and exemplary in the sense of truly extraordinary. That that life was lived in an exemplary fashion. By Father, uh, by Father A.C. Fabian, who was uh, a philosophy professor of mine and a member of the Order of Preachers. And we can tell already that you are uh, of the nerd order because you spent so much time on that word exemplary, right? You, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, let's, let's just pick to, let's, pick to pieces all the words. <laughs> let's take a look at that. Let's look at the etymology of that. And I love this uh, 
this analytical side of things because there's so much richness, even in that word exemplary, that you can pull out from it. It's like, I, oh, I mean it not only this way, but also, you know, this way over here. Let's let's look at the breadth and the depth. And of course, St. Dominic did that with the scriptures. He devoted his life and his early life uh, to that studying of scriptures. And that's something that's maybe a little bit of a lost art for us as lay people today. Um, what would be your your takeaway from St. Dominic in terms of speaking to us today in our place, in our time, in our culture? Yeah, that's right. I think there's a great risk of seeing St. Dominic as a founder of religious order and then saying, well, I, I'm a lay person. I can't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. And that would be a mistake. And so the whole book is about how St. Dominic models a way of life that can be lived by anyone, you know, in varying degrees with different embassies, but but a life that can be embraced by anyone. You know, so I've enumerated some of the keys, right? Embracing the common life. Um, uh, for lay people, this is friendships and family life, right? But, but embracing common life, a life of study, a life of prayer. Okay, you know, these, these are the foundations of wholesome Christian living, right? So the subtitle of the book is A Path to Knowing and Loving God because that, that's how life is shaped. But what does St. Dominic really offer us today? Well, St. Dominic lived in a time when the church is totally in crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like to say, the, the friars, we joke that it's still the 13th century. Yeah, <laughs> You might think it's the 21st century, but it's still the 13th century. Why? What are the hallmarks of the 13th century? We have urbanization, you know, the rise of the cities. You have the contest of the universities. So, in St. Dominic's day, the, 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 the modern universities are being founded. You have political turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have crises in the church, uh, such, as, uh, such as the one that, that inspired St. Dominic to found the order. And through all of this, what did St. Dominic do? He looked to Christ. Mm-hmm. And by this docile sense, by his docility to the Holy Spirit, he committed himself to a project of renewal. St. Dominic could have walked, there, but there, there are plenty of ways to leave the church. And, and in fact, the, 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 early, uh, the early heresy, the early deviation, the early movements um, that, were, that were anti-church uh, are exactly what St. Dominic was looking to engage and, and to address. And he did, this by, he did this by reforming first himself, committing himself to personal holiness, committing his project to, to be a project of renewal and of service to others. And then lastly, by engaging these others that, that have kind of strayed, that have, that have been suffering because of, because of the crisis of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that strikes me about St. Dominic as he's engaging with the, the crisis of the day, with the Albigensianism, is um, his endeavor to, uh, to enter into conversation in a very particular way and, and into sometimes lengthy conversation uh, that was persuasive and not um, uh, condemning the idea, but not the person, right? He's not just dismissing a whole class of people. Rather, he says, I'm going to go in and I'm going to engage with them and show them the light of truth and to do so in a way that that obviously was received by many of them. So it wasn't necessarily the kind of combativeness that we would see today. It was more uh, of a persuasive type. Yeah, that's right. I, one of the things that is incredible uh, that, that, that my study of St. Dominic that my classmate and Father Jacob Bertrand and I recently undertook is that it's so very clear to me that Dominic was known to be a man of very great compassion. Mm-hmm. And this is not a side of our founder that is often thought of, 
right? When you think Dominican, you think doctrinal, severe, black and white, Spaniard, you know, you, you, <laughs> you, might, you might hear about St. Dominic's extensive fasts, you know, you know that he ate like half an egg and he watered down his wine, like, no thanks, that's not for me. Uh, or, or that he spent all night in these exhaustive, another word that has two great meanings, these right. exhaustive <laughs> prayer vigils. Um, but uh, but St. Saint, Saint Dominic, Dominic was known by the brethren um, for his compassion. And so we have these marvelous stories about, about his care for the sick, mm-hmm. or even for the brethren when, when, they, when they didn't agree on the principles of how the religious life should best be lived. So there's a famous story um, in, in the order that's worth recounting here briefly. Uh, St. Dominic w- was really a great visionary. And part of the reason why his project was successful was that he was so courageous. So he got papal approval for the order uh, on December 22nd, 1216. Mm-hmm. So the founding of the order was in 1216. Several months later, you know, not quite even a year later, uh, on August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption, 1217, St. Dominic took those brethren that he had gathered around him in Toulouse and dispersed them two by two and sent them to the great cities of Europe, instructing them to study and to live the life, to live the life in those places, mm-hmm. knowing that just by doing that, the order would grow. And it did. Yeah. And this is really a tremendous thing, this kind of thing that only a visionary founder does, right? Once the project just barely comes together, the guys really feel like they're starting to get into it, right? The brothers had that first savor of what the life would look like. St. Dominic said, no, we're not going to stay here. You know, it's kind of like the moment of the transfiguration where the Lord says, no, we're not going to build the tabernacle. Yeah. So we're going to go down the mountain. St. Dominic sends the brethren out. And one of the brothers does not want to go without receiving a purse. He's afraid. Mm. Yeah. And St. Dominic gives him a little money bag after like weeping at his feet, begging him not to take the money, you know, begging him to trust in God and be a mendicant, be a beggar, um, really, really take on St. Dominic's simple way of life. The brother says, no, 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 I need some money. I need some money. And St. Dominic relents and gives the brother a coin purse. Uh, And this is truly an incredible thing when you see that St. Dominic was not some kind of, you know, arcane rigorous that, that he saw the needs of the brethren and he knew what that brother needed at that moment was to, was to be able to take some money with him. I, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a silly story, but it gives us a sense of the kind of depth of heart and the breadth of vision, you know, that St. Dominic knew that all of his work wouldn't be undone by this gesture. Well, so um, you, you hear that and he sent, here he is sending the brothers out so very early in that project and you think, well, gosh, as they go out, they're going to, you know, it, it, the, the mission or the culture isn't quite set and they're going to, you know, infuse it with their own selves and it's going to become splintered and everything else. But I was told recently uh, at a conference last week that, uh, that Dominicans are one of the only orders that has not ever split, that you have the same, uh, you know, Dominicans are Dominicans. You don't have uh, mm. the Cistercian version of the Dominicans, as it were, you know, that uh, reform orders and so forth and so on. Uh, and I, I find that just one, remarkable because of human nature, but two, remarkable because of ha- not having that that core culture hammered in for years beforehand. It's like, okay, we're a few months in, time to go, Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so this is the kind of man, then, St. Dominic, this is the kind of man that was engaging with the people of his day and really speaking to them. So another very important story in our tradition about the life of St. Dominic is that as he was passing through the south of France, uh, he was staying at an, at an inn 
And the innkeeper there was an adherent of this non-Catholic sect. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, uh, this this erring faction of the Catholic Church called Albigensians or Cathars, right? So, so the innkeeper is is one of one of these one of these people that is suffering from uh, falling prey to this twisted doctrine. And Saint Dominic, uh, you know, instead of just saying, "I've been on the road, I can't deal with this," mm-hmm. Saint Dominic spends all night up with this man, you know, trying to convince this basically bartender. Uh, to to give up to give up these ways to renounce these ways and to return to the practice of the true faith, uh, this is really incredible. This gives mm-hmm. us a sense of his drive, of his zeal, of his love, uh, you know, further of his compassion and of the way that he would engage with people, you know, to say like, well, an inn. This can be the place where I can bring God, mm-hmm. a bartender. This can be the man to whom I can speak to God. Uh, and there's there, there's really a, a kind of vision and determination here that. Uh, that that is saintly. Well, he's he's ever present in the moment that he's in, and he's ever present with God in the moment that he's in. And, and I feel that that's something that um, that we often lose sight of. We, you know, we we get distracted or we get uh, inconvenienced by this or that, and and our only focus is the inconvenience that we're going through, or that things aren't going according to our plan. Rather than saying, okay, well, where is God in this moment? And what can I do in this moment to bring God into this situation? Yeah, that's right. A lot of times we might think that our projects um, to spread the gospel, our evangelical work, our, you know, our ways of, of bringing, truly bringing Christ to our brothers and sisters, um, we think that they have to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, that they have to be churchy or they have to be polished or they have to be this or that program and that it all has to be mapped out. And, and this is a very great temptation, you know, especially for, for Dominicans. And it's one of the things that I love to point out about St. Dominic. St. Dominic didn't really have a plan. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of a plan, but not that much of a plan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he knew, okay, these guys, these guys are going to be poor. They're going to live very simply. They're going to live what they teach and they're going to teach. And that was kind of all that there was. You know, they when they arrived in those first medieval university cities, there wasn't a place that they were going. You know, where are they supposed to build the convent? St. Dominic didn't know. They didn't know. They had to yeah. figure it out. Um, and uh, this gives us a sense not only of St. Dominic's courage, but also his trust that God would bring to fruition the work that he was doing in God's name. Well, so what I see of St. Dominic's plan is this. Um, St. Dominic invested himself in prayer and scripture and not just like, Oh, I'm going to give a little bit of time to this, but he saturated his life with prayer and scripture in a way that was always fresh, right? It's not uh, just this repetition of, of prayer. It's not just, okay, well, we're going to pray the liturgy of the hours. We all know this. We can just, you know, kind of mumble our way through it. But there was this desire for active engagement in the scriptures uh, in terms of nourishment, right? We all we all have that our favorite meal that we go back to over and over, and that doesn't get boring. And so, so too with Saint Dominic, this idea of I'm going to feast on Scripture, I'm going to make it part of my 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 nourishment, and and in that saturation, in that foundation with prayer and Scripture, he's able to go and do things on the fly because he's connected so much with the Holy Spirit. Whereas if you and I were to say, you know what, I'm not going to make a plan today, and uh, it might not turn out quite as well as it did for St. Dominic, 
because it was that foundation that gave him the ability to pivot and to do those things in in conformity with God's will. Yeah, man. No, it's it's completely true. Uh, so the the Dominican Order has two mottos. Um, the first comes from the writings of Saint Thomas Aquinas. So a, a lot Saint Saint Thomas is the Dominican that most people know the most right. about. By the way, right? Um, which gives you again a sense of Saint Dominic's own hiddenness that he that that his life and his legacy is surpassed even by his own brethren, mm-hmm. right? So for us to know more about. St. Thomas Aquinas, Pope St. Pius V, uh, de Montfort, who was a third order Dominican, Pierre Giorgio Frassati, you know, all these, all these other people that are, that are part of the, that are part of the Dominican order um, in their, in various ways um, have in some ways a bigger legacy, even than our founder is, you know, part of, is worth mentioning. Anyway, St. Thomas Aquinas has this line um, that it is better that, that, that the Dominican order rather um, is for the purpose of sharing that which has been contemplated. So the order is to contemplate and give to others that which has been contemplated or to give to others the, the one com- contemplated, a uh, contemplata alis tradere. And this is really St. Dominic. As you're saying, this is a mission rooted in his prayer. Um, as a canon lawyer I had in class used to love to say, nemo dot, quod non, got. <laughs> and it's his little... Play playing on the Latin, playing on the the Latin phrase. You can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. You cannot give what you don't have. And so that time must be sent before the Lord in or, in order to nourish and to fill. And so there are all these different analogies, these different images of Dominican contemplations, like a full bowl that spills over, or like a pipeline, you know, with just water rushing through it. Um, and, and that's how Saint Dominic was was really able to live with the Lord. But the second motto of the order is Veritas. Mm-hmm. Just truth. When you're living in the truth, you have nothing to fear. Yeah. You have nothing to lose. Um, and St. Dominic's passion, his zeal, the orientation of his life was such, uh, you know, as I said early on in, in our interview here, uh, it, it was total. Mm-hmm. And so there's no concern uh, for St. Dominic because there are no lies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's you- no fear. So here's a question that I have. Living in the Dominican life, as you are, uh, do you find that that living that same kind of virtue put out by St. Dominic is um, easier? Is it easier by being surrounded by the brothers and surrounded by the lifestyle? Or do you still find it to be a bit of... Uh, a struggle to not get distracted into the other things of the world and to be so easily focused on contemplation and to be around uh, no lies, except you're in Washington, D.C., so that's all there is around you right now, but beyond that. (laughs) Right, so I spent the last year living very closely with my students at Providence College, um, where I was Mm -hmm. full-time chaplain. Uh, And during COVID, um, of course, that it really impacted the shape of life. And uh, one of the things that I talked so frequently to students about was prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the errors that plagues our day, and, and this is a thing that affects devout people, people who are committed Christians, one of the errors of our day is to believe that prayer fits in a box and must follow certain patterns uh, and is and is variously disconnected from the rest of one's life. So that is to say that 
I will go and I will, pr- I will pray my, my 15 minutes of mental prayer and that will, that will be it for the day and I'll be good and I'll just be able to keep living. It's like filling, no, 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 no. filling the tank with gas. I'm going to do that and then it's going to carry me out through the rest of the day. Right? Yeah, exactly. And this is a complete misconception. Um, why? Because prayer comes out of life well lived. Hmm. And this is what is so key to understanding St. Dominic and key to understanding the Dominican order and key to understanding why our great saints like Catherine of Siena and Thomas Aquinas were able to do that which they did because their life of prayer was not part of their life. It wasn't a set moments of their day. Their lives were prayer. Mm-hmm. It's the, the handing over of everything to God and allowing all of it to redound to his glory. Okay, now, so there are a couple temptations here, right? Because we, we see the opposing error, which is then to say, well, I don't need to take any directed time for mental prayer because everything I do is a prayer, right? right? That is also nonsense. This is also a lie. <laughs> So what what is it that I'm trying to say clearly here, TL? It's that it's that uh, there's a there's a temptation to divorce prayer and life, and mm-hmm. all of whereas in Saint Dominic we see that all of virtuous living is remote preparation for prayer. Mm-hmm. So all the totality of one's life has to be balanced. It has to be harmonious. Otherwise, the life of prayer will not thrive. How do you have that? Um... What, what does your prayer life look like in, in those sense of uh, the structured prayer versus the, the non-structured prayer? As, yeah, that's right. That's a, a great question. So one of, the, one of the things you're asking, you know, is it easier to do with the brothers? Yes. Is it harder to do with the brothers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, our constitutions require, for example, 30 minutes of mental prayer a day. And uh, if... I do not do that first thing. It will be a dumpster fire, mm-hmm. you know? So I, so I think I, another big myth, and this one is a lot more controversial. I think that there are not morning. I think that the claim that there are morning and uh, uh, morning people and night owls is just a lie. Mm. I, th- I think there are people that get up in the morning and people that don't. <laughs> and maybe it's because the morning is just tough for me. So I think those first moments have to be given over to God that we have to do our meditation, our mental prayer when we're fresh and that we owe God the best moments of the day, which are the first ones. And most people just waste them looking on a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how is this structured and easier to do in the life? Well, when I get up, you know, I get, I get my act together, get my hammer on, okay, get downstairs, go to the chapel. There are other brothers there yeah. doing the same thing. I'm not there alone. Yeah. I'm making my prayer with them. And is it more difficult with them? Yeah, because sometimes they sneeze and they rustle around and they clank their rosary on stuff and they mm-hmm. come in at different times. And, you know, one guy likes the light on and one guy likes the light off. Yeah. And, you know, so there are all these little things that, 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 that impact it. But, but you have such a, you, there's such a powerful sense of, of being able to pray with others um, that, that, is, that is so important, even when it's, even when it's just that mental prayer. We're revisiting a conversation we had last year with Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, who is the author of the book, St. Dominic's Way of Life, A Path to Knowing and Loving God. It's available on OSV Books. You can find it at orderosv.com. There's so much to this conversation. I would love to hear your thoughts. Come join the ongoing conversation at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And as always, don't go anywhere because there is so much more to come right after the break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, a Dominican friar and father, co-host of the Dominican Friars podcast, Godsplaining, and he serves as the editor-in-chief of Alatea.org. Author of the new book, co-author of the new book, St. Dominic's Way of Life, A Path to Knowing and Loving God, available on our Sunday Visitor Press, written together with Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Uh, Father Patrick Mary, thanks for being with us. Great to be with you, TL. Yeah, thanks for having me. I don't feel like I can have a Dominican on the show without asking, uh, what is your favorite Dominican Jesuit joke? Well, let me give you just a couple words of preamble here because, uh, you know, I have to say that if I were not a Dominican, and here we're engaging in like wild speculative hypothetical, if I were not a Dominican, <laughs> I think I would be a member of the society mm-hmm. because the society's intellectual tradition is just so extraordinary. So I do feel like I have to reveal that about myself. Um, and I, I make Dominican Jesuit jokes, you know, with some fear and trembling during the, the, the year which is shared by both of us, right? So this year is the 500th anniversary of St. Ignatius's uh, yeah. conversion yeah. and the 800th anniversary of the death of St. Dominic. Mm-hmm. So we have this weird confluence of a simultaneous jubilee year between OP and SJ, which yeah. is a bit, you know, okay. But I will, t- I, w- I will give you my favorite joke. So there are three religious and they're in a boat. And uh, they've been stranded. So this is like a, a rescue boat. And they're, they're just off a little island. And the waters, between, uh, the waters between the island and the boat are shark infested. And the Franciscan says that he's going to preach a sermon to Brother Shark and then jump in the water and, you know, trust that because of his sermon that he's preached to Brother Shark, he'll be able to get to the island. So he jumps in. And Brother Shark devours him, oh. uh, and he doesn't make it to the island. So the Dominican uh, recognizes uh, recognizes what's at stake, and he decides to explain to Brother Shark why metaphysically it's a bad idea for him to eat him. You know, he's mm-hmm. kind of kind of scrawny, kind of gaunt. Uh, this isn't really the best meal. So he engages Brother Shark in kind of an intellectual battle. Uh, so he jumps in the water, and uh, Brother Shark eats the Dominican. Um, and the Jesuit just makes the sign of the cross, jumps in the water, and swims safely to the island. Now, there are some people on the island watching all of this. And when the Jesuit gets to the shore, they say, well, you know, what did you, what did you do? How is it that, you were, how is it that you, you were preserved? And the Jesuit says, well, sharks never eat each other out of professional courtesy. <laughs> uh, the one that I've always heard is, of course, the, the Jesuit order and the Dominican order were, were both founded. Um, to be preaching orders and teaching orders. They were, they were both founded to combat the heresy of their day, um, but, but they are different because have you seen any Albigensians lately? Which is half true. Yeah. <laughs> In the book, we contend they're all around us. <laughs> that's, that's actually the point I want to get to next. Uh, let's talk about Albigensianism. We we hear these uh, these ancient heresies or these older heresies, and we hear their names, and we kind of put a picture together into our head of something foreign and far off. And yet, as you as you contend in the book, they are all around us. They just maybe don't coalesce under a certain name or meet together in certain groups. Let's talk about um, the presence of warmed over old heresies in our midst, mm. and and. 
enough, as much for evaluation of our own lives. Do we subscribe to any of these things as, as far as helping us prepare to, to engage with those who hold them? Yeah, that's right. So we as Dominicans, we like to say, you know, again, that it's still the 13th century. And part of the reason we like to say that is we make all these comparisons between society then, society now, the scandalous state of the church then, the scandalous state of the church now. Okay. Uh, but but one, of, one of the main reasons why it's still the 13th century is that people are still tending towards this great temptation of Albigensianism. And admittedly, today it has a little bit of a different articulation. But what are some basic premises of this claim? Well, one premise is that the, that the church, the ministers of the church, are not sufficiently holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea has some traction, right? We, ha- we have to be honest about this, um, especially as we, as we face the, the tragedies and, and shortcomings of uh, the ministers of, of the church in our day. Uh, so the Albigensians set up their own parallel system of priests and bishops, and they decided that only certains of these had to really be holy. They called them the perfecti. And they set up essentially a certain kind of caste that would adhere rigorously to these, to the, to these fasts and these asceticisms, which demonstrated their piety. So against the, the, the failings and corruption in the clergy of the day, they set up this rigorously adherent cast called the perfecti that 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 really embodied these and 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 the chief way the greatest thing that a member of the perfecti could do would be to starve himself to death Hmm. Uh, and this was called the 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 consolamentum the last great sacrament of the albigensians um it was a it was a way of suicide. So so here we've got all these all these things that are totally you know constant with our day, right? We've got the 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 response to the scandal of corruption of the clergy. We have the threat of suicide. All of us can think of how twenty five percent twenty five percent of our young people, mm-hmm. people between the ages of eighteen and thirty five, considered taking their own life during the pandemic last year. You know we we have these threats that are very real and very present in our own day. Uh, the people would be so disgusted with life as they find it now. That they that they think taking their life would be the best way out, and you know we have to have some kind of sympathy with that and mm-hmm. and engage this idea. Okay, but the last the last great idea, you know, with, without like prattling on forever about this, the, the last great idea that the Albigensians had, which is really not a great idea, it's a terrible idea, is that marriage is not a holy thing, mm-hmm. and so they so see so uh, seeing God's plan uh, for marriage, which uh, of course is uh, the union of one man and one woman. Uh, they they looked at God's plan for marriage and substituted something else. They thought that marriage was a kind of dirty thing, that it couldn't be holy, and they discouraged it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a twisted ideas of marriage. And of course, in our own day, God, God's original plan for marriage is uh, so greatly threatened because people are so are finding themselves more and more so uncomfortable with their own sexuality, so uncomfortable even, you know, horrifically, terrifyingly in their own skin. Well, and and that that last point i think is a point that's often missed that even albigensianism is a warmed over heresy from before this idea that we can somehow separate the body and the soul that we are distinct beings that maybe we're a spiritual a spiritual entity that's just kind of trapped in this mortal coil and and i see that even in my own protestant upbringing that well really the the flesh counts for nothing to quote scripture and so everything really needs to be spiritually focused and and we beat our bodies into submission and all of the even using scripture to justify this idea of well really the the, the, the spirit's what counts for everything and the body's really not important and when we die it's just 
put put me anywhere on the ground because my soul will be free, which is a very Albigensian Gnostic kind of thing to say. Um, and so even even that today finds its way into some Christian circles that then from that point, all these other points of Albigensian spring. Yeah, that's right. You are not just a soul. You are a soul and a body. And our Holy Mother, the Church, teaches us this in so many ways, right? Like we have the, with the physicality, the economy of the sacraments by which things become the, uh, become the, the mode, the way, the means by which the, the instruments of the dispensation of God's graces. This is so cool, right? God would not do that if God did not know, if God had not made us to be, uh, to be, body soul composites to 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 be both uh in inhabitants of flesh and spirit people with souls and so this is an incredible thing this is the genius of saint dominic right part of saint dominic's prayer uh it's really an amazing thing to think of how saint dominic prayed was embracing this physicality so there are nine ways we're told that saint dominic prayed and many of those ways involved bodily postures and doing active things, gestures like making repeated genuflections and bowing, you know, praying with his arms out as if in a, in a cruciform position. Mm-hmm. So even St. Dominic's way of prayer, not just his fast, um, which, were, which are a kind of curtailing of the flesh, um, but, but even his way of prayer was, was incarnate and bodily. Let's talk just a moment about uh, you're talking about his fasts and, and doing these things that are subjecting the body. Let's talk about the difference between that and saying, well, the body is inherently bad and I need to just mm-hmm. focus on the spirit because there, there is a distinction, but it is a fine line. If you, if you don't know that distinction. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Um, so when we talk, when we talk about fasting, um, we talk about moderating desire so for St. Dominic, um, being, being a good and loyal son of the church, right? St. Dominic understood that there are certain things the body needed and extremes not to pursue. So the Albigensians pursued the extreme, right? Like for them, the height of this fasting was to starve oneself to death. That's not like not taking, taking no food is not fasting. Taking no food is starving. Yeah. <laughs> whereas St. Whereas Dominic moderated food, denying himself some good things, but still taking what he needed for 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 his physical health, knowing that physical health was the good that should be pursued. Um, that kind of gets at it, right, Tian? Yeah, I think so. This idea that when we when we moderate our appetites, we're simply directing our appetites to say, you know, I want things that aren't good for me. If you gave me a fridge full of Dr. Pepper, I would not treat that well. And that doesn't it doesn't treat my body well either. And so acknowledging that my desires are disordered away from the good, the good of my body, that sometimes I take to fasting to direct my desires and to remind myself the thing which truly nourishes me is to be united with God. Yep, that's right. It's our intellect which moderates the passions. This is the this is at the heart of the Dominican tradition. And we we have to know, as you as you're saying here, we have to examine our desires and dare to ask, well, is that thing really good for me? Is that the kind of thing that satisfies me because of the kind of thing that I am? Or as I say to my children, you have two brains. You've got a thinking brain and a feeling brain. Your feeling brain is important, but make your thinking brain in charge, right? Very nice. Yeah. You can use that. It's for, it's for free. Yeah. It's <laughs> 
So we've got just a couple of minutes left here. Um, what Obviously, we want you to go pick up this book from our Sunday visitor, St. Dominic's Way of Life, A Path to Knowing and Loving God. But what does St. Dominic have to say to us today? Here we are. We're stuck in the same place. We're still in the 13th century, as it were. Um, we're seeing crises in the church. We're seeing crises in uh, in the, the polis, in the state. Uh, how do we find the, the, the sure-footedness that St. Dominic had? How do we find ourselves in, in a place where we can proceed with confidence uh, in, our, in our interpretation of God's will so that we can navigate this tumultuous world in which we live? The, I think that the great temptation is to believe that um, the, church, the church is our problem and must be saved by us. Yeah. Uh, well, from your Protestant days, TL, you'll, you'll appreciate that, that we have one Savior, yeah. and he's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and th- this, is, this is the great truth of Christianity, and that it belongs to the rest of us to conform ourselves with Christ's plan for us. Mm-hmm. The church is the bride of Christ. She belongs to him, um, and, and Christ will protect her and ensure, that, and ensure her health and her, her, her continuity until the end of time. So what do, what do we as members of the body do? Well, we make sure that we're, help, we're healthy parts of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we're an eye, we have to make sure we're a good eye. If we're, if we're a hand, we have to make sure we're a good hand. And so we look at our own lives and pursue, as St. Dominic did, sanctity above all else, that we give ourselves wholly over to the pursuit of God in our lives, wherever they are, however they are, uh, but, but that we commit ourselves to this project of personal holiness, of personal renewal, because God in order to continue to cleanse and purify and nourish and raise up uh, his church, God always does this project by raising up saints. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so incredible about the life of St. Dominic is that we can see that in the midst of the turmoil of the 13th century, the Lord Jesus sent us great sons like Dominic and Francis and so many others to raise up and restore and renew the church in that day. And we know that the Lord will do so for us now, that he will raise up even from our midst, from our families. Uh, men and women of great holiness to protect and preserve and renew the church. Well, and parents out there, St. Dominic had parents who invested in him the life of faith. They gave him the scriptures. They taught him these things. His mother's a blessed. His father's name is happy, right, Felix? Um, they. Th- this, is, this is the role that we parents have is to give our children the faith in such a way that they will go out and be Dominic's when they go out. Amen. Father, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Great being with you. Can't, can't wait to be invited back to you. We're going we're gonna to make that happen, probably sooner rather than later. We've been talking today with Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. He's a Dominican friar and priest, co-host of the Dominican Friars podcast, Godsplaining. He also serves as the editor-in-chief of Alatea.org and has a new book on our Sunday Visitor Press called St. Dominic's Way of Life, A Path to Knowing and Loving God. And if you've been inspired by this conversation to go out and learn more about the life of St. Dominic, this is a fantastic place to start because it's not just a retelling of history, but it's also the application of what we can learn and live out um, by learning from the life of St. Dominic. 
Well, if you missed any part of my conversation with Father Patrick Mary, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can listen over and over, share it with your friends, and more. Up in the top right-hand corner of that page, OutsideTheWalls.com, you'll also see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. We have a fantastic support community that helps keep us on the air, and in return, in gratitude, we give them extra segments each and every week, including an extra segment this week uh, with Father Patrick Mary Briscoe talking a little bit about uh, his vocation story in more detail. Uh, and, you know, we just have a little fun while we're there as well. So I encourage you go take a look at that link, share this week's episode, and go look at the Patreon community and see if that might be something you're interested in. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips. There's a free trial going on right now. Go to verbum.com to learn more. Now, our reading from Scripture comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. We often hear, you know, maybe there's a disconnect for some people as they read the Old Testament and they have a hard time understanding the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and seeing God being consistent throughout them. But here we see the very heart of the matter, the thing that God most wants to tell to his people then, and it's so very similar to what he tells us still today, all throughout the New Testament. And then also, as we talked with Father Dominic today, he brought it up again as well, that God preserves his church and we should pursue holiness as individuals. So here in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses said to the people, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and follow his ways exactly? to love and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I enjoin on you today for your own good. Think, the heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as well as the earth and everything on it. Yet in his love for your fathers, the Lord was so attached to them as to choose you, their descendants, in preference to all other peoples, as indeed he has now done. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and be no longer stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who has no favorites, accepts no bribes, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and befriends the alien, feeding and clothing him. So you too must befriend the alien, for you were once aliens yourselves in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God shall you fear, and him shall you serve. Hold fast to him and swear by his name. He is your glory. He, your God, who has done for you those great and terrible things which your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, seventy strong, and now... The Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the sky. That reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10. And here is God is through Moses telling the people what's required of them. We can hear these same things echoed to us today. 
Love and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I enjoin on you today for your own good. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, and yet he has chosen you. This is the consistent message. The Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, uh, giving mercy to the thousandth generation of those who fear him, right? This is what God has for us. This loving kindness, this, this adoption as his own. So what does the Lord require of us today? Well, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and keep the commandments. What does the Lord require of us today? As it says in the Minor Prophets, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. What does the Lord require of us today but to to see his love for us and to pursue holiness, to go headlong, uh, as crazy as it may seem, to go headlong into this abandoning ourselves to his divine providence, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as Paul says. This is just that continual theme. To, for us to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy in any way that the Spirit asks of us, to follow the example of St. Dominic's life and to pursue this life of holiness, which is, yes, for our own benefit, and it takes our own effort, but it is also for the benefit of everyone that we come into contact with. Holiness has a way of disrupting the world, turning it on its head, and bringing about the economy of salvation, bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's a challenge, to be sure, but it's what the Lord asks of us. And our reading from church uh, history today is going to come, as as Father Patrick Mary talked about, from various writings on the history of the order of preachers. This comes uh, on the feast day tomorrow, uh, the feast day of St. Dominic out of the breviary. And this is what happens when there is a life dedicated to to the glory of God in the, in the manner uh, that the book of Deuteronomy calls for, that the minor prophets call for, that the New Testament calls for, and that the saints give us example of. Dominic possessed such great integrity and was so strongly motivated by divine love that without a doubt, he proved to be a bearer of honor and grace. He was a man of great equanimity, except when moved to compassion and mercy. And since a joyful heart animates the face, he displayed the peaceful composure of a spiritual man in the kindness he manifested outwardly and by the cheerfulness of his countenance. Wherever he went, he showed himself in word and deed to be a man of the gospel. During the day, no one was more community-minded or pleasant toward his brothers and associates. During the night hours, No one was more persistent in every kind of vigil and supplication. He seldom spoke unless it was with God, that is, in prayer, or about God. And in this matter, he instructed his brothers. Frequently, he made a special personal petition that God would deign to grant him a genuine charity, effective in caring for and obtaining the salvation of men. For he believed that only then would he truly 
be a member of Christ, when he had given himself totally for the salvation of men, just as the Lord Jesus, the Savior of all, had offered himself completely for our salvation. So for this work, after a lengthy period of careful and provident planning, he founded the Order of Friars Preachers. In his conversations and letters, he often urged the brothers of the order to study constantly the Old and New Testaments. He always carried with him the gospel according to Matthew and the epistles of Paul. And so well did he study them that he almost knew them from memory. Two or three times he was chosen bishop, but he always refused, preferring to live with his brothers in poverty. Throughout his life, he preserved the honor of his virginity. He desired to be scourged and cut to pieces and so die for the faith of Christ. Of him, Pope Gregory IX declared, I knew him as a steadfast follower of the apostolic way of life. There is no doubt that he is in heaven, sharing in the glory of the apostles themselves. That reading from Church History comes from tomorrow's breviary from the Feast of St. Dominic, and it's compiled from various writings on the history of the Order of Preachers. There's a couple of reactions we can have when we hear that kind of hagiography. One is to feel that it's impossible for us to attain, uh, that that it's so far removed and, and maybe almost a caricature of, we have a caricature of what a saint looks like in our heads. or uh, we can be incredibly inspired by that. And now, what I would say, if you're in the former camp where it just seems so far beyond reach and not really a part of our daily lives, I want you to start counting up the ways in which you pour out your life for others, the way in which you sacrifice your own desires for the sake of others, whether that be um, being a parent, which is just kind of inherently pouring out your life for the sake of someone else, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, something small uh, like a, a small act of charity, a prayer for someone else, uh, the, taking the time to offer a family rosary for the petition of someone else, whether it be just being considerate of another person. These are small ways and steps and seeds of pouring out our lives for others. And what we can do is we can look at the life of St. Dominic who did this so totally. And we can offer up these little examples we have in our own life as seeds and ask the Holy Spirit to water and cultivate those seeds so that they would come to full maturity just as they did in the life of St. Dominic. That we, like him, would be so filled with the Holy Spirit and saturated with the presence in the Word of God that we would be able to be that beacon that, that light in the darkness, and also that vessel of the Holy Spirit through which individuals and eventually the culture was touched and transformed and changed into the likeness of God. And the closing prayer on the feast day of St. Dominic says, Lord, let the holiness and teaching of St. Dominic come to the aid of your church. May he help us now with his prayers as he once inspired people by his preaching. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Susan Wise and all of those who support the show through Patreon. 
Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and consider joining their numbers. Be a part of the ongoing conversation on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.